You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, similar to what we've done over the past few weeks, we're going to sort of do an overview of this story and um, just extract a few uh, sort of key points out of it. Um, Similar to the last few weeks, I encourage you to read the entirety of the book of Ruth this week. Uh, It's only four chapters, so you ought to be able to read it several times and uh, really get through it and ask God to um, reveal and show his truth to you uh, in that um, if you're unfamiliar with the story, I want to give you a little bit of the setup, a little bit of the kind of how we got here point before we get into the, the teachings and the learnings today. It begins by talking about a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they leave Judea, they leave Bethlehem because there's a famine, and they travel to the land of Moab. He dies in the first few verses of the first chapter and he has two sons and they marry women from the country of Moab, Moabites named Orpah and Ruth. And then those two sons die and they leave Naomi with her daughters-in-law. And she has to decide what to do with these two women, these two non-Jewish women and decide what she's going to do with them as their mother-in-law. And, and so when you read into uh, first, the first chapter, uh, if you'll read through that this week, you'll see that there's a, a discussion that goes on from verses 6 through 18 where it encourages both of them to go back to their homes, to go back to their families, to stay in the land of Moab where they are and not journey back to Bethlehem with her. And they initially both refused to do so, and then eventually uh, one of them sort of gives in, Orpah gives in, and returns on to her home. And that may seem a little harsh to us that Naomi uh, maybe seems kind of callous in this moment to say to them, go on back to your homes, don't travel with me. But we need to have an understanding here of just what it meant to be from the land of Moab. Last week, I believe it was last week, I encouraged you to read all of the story of Abram and Lot that takes you all the way through Genesis 19. So if you did so, you read this. If you didn't do that, then you can go back and read this. And I know we have uh, little ears in with us today, so I'm going to be as discreet as possible. But at the end of chapter 19 of the book of Genesis, there's an improper relationship between Lot and his two daughters. And from that improper relationship is born a man named Moab, the father of the Moabites, and Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites. So from that improper relationship comes two men who start a people group, and both of those people groups become to God. Uh, God even goes so far in Deuteronomy 23 to say that, that those individuals are rejected from his assembly, a specific word meaning those who gather together in Israel to discuss uh, both the issues and the oracles of God, but things as, as such as law keeping and so on and so forth. And they are repeatedly in the Old Testament, these two groups of people seen as enemies of God and enemies of Israel. So it's understandable having that little backstory of why Naomi would be thinking, you don't need to go with me. 
You'll need to go with me back to my home, to my people who serve my God when your people, your nation, your group of people have served other gods and have been cruel and mean to us. And no matter how much she may have loved those two girls, she recognized that it would be a bad thing potentially for them to go with her. And so that sort of gives us the setup to looking at a couple, three things today. And the first thing I want us to see is this. The book of Ruth is not primarily a love story between Boaz and Ruth. We have made attempts to, uh, as I call it, Disney-fy the story that poor little uh, Ruth is just over here waiting for her prince to come. And he comes riding in on the white horse and saves her. Understand that Ruth is a strong woman. She's a strong woman in this story, as is Naomi. And she's not just flittering around waiting for her prince to come, but she takes action when action needs to be taken. Look at chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, to see the first action she takes. After this discussion has gone on between Naomi and Ruth, Orpah, the one daughter-in-law, leaves. And then in verse 15, Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth's first response to all this, to having lost her husband and to Naomi's words that she's returning to Bethlehem because the famine is, lift, is lifted and there's food there, is to basically say, you're not going alone. I'm not going to let that happen. She expresses concern and care for her mother-in-law over and above her own concern and care. Because understand this quite simply. It would have been dangerous for a Moabite woman to come back into that land of Judah. It would have been dangerous for her to have Naomi travel alone back to that land through the land of Moab because that's where they were when this all originates. And Ruth could have very easily said, yes, I'm, a, I'm now a young widow. I've got the rest of my life ahead of me. I need to go find me a good man to take care of me. But in her strength, she is less concerned about her own situation and more concerned about Naomi. She declares three places of allegiance here. One to Naomi, where you go, I'll go. The second place of allegiance is to the Hebrew people. Your people shall be my people. And then thirdly, to God himself, your God, my God. We don't, we don't know of any, there's, there's no other mention in the book of Ruth to this point to any faith in God that Ruth may have had, but the assumption is that after being married to a Hebrew man for 10 years and living in that Hebrew family, there surely must have been discussion of who God was and what he had done and, and what he required of people. And so there must have been an understanding in Ruth's mind that my people serve many gods, but there is this one God who reigns above all. And through that assumption of those discussions, she pledges an allegiance and a devotion to God. 
So secondly, they return to Judah. And as they return to Judah, Naomi now begins to take care of Ruth. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 to start. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. It's Ruth's suggestion, but it's Naomi's empowerment. Yes, go into this field, go into this land, and begin to do what you need to do in terms of the gleaning. Understand that this would have been, this would have been a law for Israel. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, as God is giving uh, various social laws and understandings for his people, he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but when you harvest your land, don't harvest the outside edges and don't harvest the corners. Leave those things for any stranger, sojourner, or even foreigner who comes through who is in need. So she is following, by going to this field and gleaning, taking those grains, she is following a command that God had already put in place for those who were not of Israel. That alone could preach and tell us a little bit about how God cares for those who are not his own. But we'll save that one perhaps for another message another day. So look at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So, uh, and again, we're overviewing this. So you'll want to go back and read these in between verses. But Boaz, list, or Ruth listens to Naomi and her empowerment goes out and does what she's doing. And Boaz notices her. And look at verse 11 and 12 in chapter 2. She's asking why he, she's found favor in his eyes. And he says, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now lodge that phrase in your mind for future reference. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz offers a pledge of protection to Ruth, and he offers it based on this understanding. Look at verse 20. As Ruth has gone back to Naomi and told her about the day's goings on, Naomi says, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. In Leviticus chapter 25, it speaks of what could happen within the family of Israel when a person lost their property, either by it being taken from them or having to have it sold or so on and so forth. And, and specifically in Leviticus 25, it is talking about property and land and so forth. But it does us well to understand that in that culture, a wife was really considered property. And so... Boaz becomes this redeemer. It's called the idea of kinsman redeemer. And it's the idea that if one has died and there's property that is left by itself, unattained for, uh, un, 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 take, not taken care of, so on and so forth, the family member, the nearest relative, can come and essentially assume the responsibility for either that property, that livestock, or even in the case of a spouse possibly. And so Naomi recognizes that Boaz is beginning to fulfill this role written about in Leviticus 25 of being a kinsman redeemer. 
And look at verses uh, 1 through 5 in chapter 3. Again, Naomi empowers Ruth. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? In other words, now Naomi is, again, like Ruth was at the beginning, Naomi's not concerned about herself. She's concerned about Ruth. Verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative with, uh, who's, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Essentially, Naomi says to Ruth, go get gussied up a little bit. Wash yourself. Get yourself smelling good. Take a cloak because you're going to be outside. It's going to be cold. But put yourself in a presentable situation to Boaz. And she says this thing in verse 4 that obviously seems very odd to us. When he lies down, observe the place where he goes. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. I'm guessing none of you ladies who have tried to entice a husband as snuck into where they were sleeping and uncovered their feet ahead of time. It was a cultural thing. Specifically for this instance, it was designed to wake Boaz in the middle of the night. If you've ever been sleeping on a cold winter night and your feet somehow get out from underneath the covers, you awaken suddenly, don't you? So Naomi gives these instructions to Ruth and turning back to uh, chapter 3, beginning verse 6 through 13. Ruth is obedient. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, I, I told you to remember that phrase from chapter 2, right? <laughs> listen to what he says, or listen to what Ruth says. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Boaz, back in chapter 2, when he was basically making a pledge of protection, says this in verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you've done, full reward given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Ruth says to him, spread your wings over your servant, for he is a redeemer. What does this tell us? It tells us that Ruth recognized that, yes, indeed, God would provide her protection, but it needed to come through somebody. It needed to happen through somebody's obedience. And she trusted God in that, that this was the way it would happen. And so she continues on, verse 10, or Boaz continues, verse 10. As he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for, all, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. 
Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So essentially he tells her there's another family member closer. He kind of has first dibs. So we're going to make him aware of the situation. If he won't do it, I will do it. Now I want to go back to that spread your wings instant for just a moment. Again, Boaz makes a promise, makes a pledge of protection. The Lord God will spread his wings over you. Ruth then takes it to Boaz, to his responsibility. Spread your wings over me. Listen to what the psalmist writes in chapter, uh, in verse, uh, verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Jesus said to Jerusalem in the Gospels, Oh, how long I would have taken and wanted to cover you like a hen covers her young underneath her wings. The story of Ruth and Boaz is not primarily a Disney-fied love story. It's an, it's an understanding of what God has done for us. It's an understanding of what he does for us in Christ Jesus, which we'll get to in just a moment. But it's also an understanding that God seeks to do for others, and sometimes that means we have to be doing something as well. For God to spread his wings over Ruth, it required Boaz to spread his wings over Ruth. For God to be the shelter and the tower and the refuge for people, it requires sometimes for us to follow in obedience to God and do what he's asking us to do, that they may know of that great truth. And so all this takes place, and we have this redemption of Ruth and really the redemption of Naomi as well. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And they sat down. And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then things get interesting. Verse 5, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to per perpetuate the name of the dead in his own inheritance. And the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He was ready to redeem the land. He was not so ready to redeem the land plus one. And there's lots of discussion as to why this Redeemer did not do that. There's some that say that he perhaps was already married and to take on another wife would have caused him trouble or at home or uh, would have jeopardized his financial standing in the community. I, I just say God intended for Boaz to be the Redeemer. That's where I trust in this. And where one wouldn't, Boaz would. 
And so the remainder of the story of Ruth goes like this. He redeems Ruth. They become married. As you read it this week, you'll see that they have a child who would eventually become the grandfather to King David. That through a Moabite woman, through one who was excluded from the assembly, through one who had been an enemy of Israel, through her union with another individual from the people of Israel, comes the royal line of Jesus. So what do we learn from this little overview and what do we learn from this story? We learn, first of all, this. Ruth's past and her origin story did not dictate her future. Her past and her story of origin does not dictate her future. It actually gave her something to be redeemed of. Secondly, Ruth's beginning to her redemption was found in chapter 1 in her devotion to God. Your God will be my God. Redemption begins when we acknowledge that he is ours and that we will follow him. And then thirdly, her redemption fully occurred when someone stepped up, namely Boaz, and acted on that promise from chapter 2. Provide protection and, oh, by the way, the Lord will spread his wings over you in refuge. He then became the one through whom the Lord spread his wings. What does that mean for us today? It means this, first and foremost. Your past and your origin story do not dictate your future. There is nothing in your past. There is nothing in the story of your origin. There is no no secret, no skeleton, no unworthwhile memory or occurrence in your past that keeps God from spreading his wings over you. Secondly, that the beginning of redemption is found in the devotion to God. We begin to be redeemed when we acknowledge God for who he is and we put our faith and trust in him. And then thirdly, and this differs a little bit from the story of Ruth in this, Ruth's redemption occurred when Boaz stepped up. Our redemption occurred long ago when Jesus stepped up. Our redemption occurred long ago when Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. We read this in Hebrews 2. I realize that's been a few months back, so I'm going to read it again to refresh our memories. In Hebrews 2, beginning verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In other words, he became my kinsman and your kinsman. A few generations removed, yes. But my kinsman and your kinsman. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people or to redeem us. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He took on a flesh that he did not have to. He paid a price for redemption that no one else could or was willing to step up to do. And he gave us a new life that none of us could have without him. Typically on Lord's Supper Sundays, I give you a couple of questions to respond to and think about. But today I don't have questions, but I just have these comments for you to consider and pray about in just a moment. 
In redeeming Ruth, Boaz effectively redeems her past, her present, and her future. He redeems her past because no longer is she known as or associated with that group of people that were excluded from God or were enemies of God. But now she has been made one with the family of God through his redemption. He redeems her present in that she now no longer is a widowed woman, a young widowed woman who would have been very, uh, in a very precarious situation, unable to provide for herself, possibly taken advantage of. And he redeemed her future by giving it a promise. By making a promise to her that indeed all that she had said to Naomi back in chapter 1, where you go, I'll go, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. He gave her that promise. I ask you today, isn't it the same for you? Hasn't Christ redeemed your past? It may be a good past, it may be a checkered past, it may be a past that really you wish no one would talk about, but nonetheless, hasn't he not redeemed your past? And more so than that, has he not given your past a purpose? Whether it is a blessed past or a a past that you've had to work through and trauma and everything else, he has redeemed that for a purpose now. It does not dictate who you are, but he now takes it and uses it for his good and his kingdom and your benefit. He has redeemed you for the power of your present. Your present day, my present day. He has redeemed us that we might be empowered to be who he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. And then finally, he has redeemed us for the promise of our future. That there is nothing that would happen on this earth that can alter the future we have in Jesus. That there is no weapon formed by man that shall prosper. That there is no system, that there is no oppression, that there is nothing for those who are found in Christ Jesus that can alter our inevitable future, which is that he comes back or before we die or we die and are raised with him once again. And it is all done because of what we celebrate today. That he came as a kinsman redeemer to pay a price to redeem that no one else could do. No one else could do. And so this is what I would ask you to consider as we prepare to pass this out and to take. I would ask you to pray for the purpose of your past. Some of you may have already figured that out a little bit and know how God's using it. Some of you maybe need to to have his wisdom in that. But how has God redeemed your past? How's what you've experienced, gone through, done, dealt with? How's it used for his glory? I'll ask you to pray for the power of your present. God's calling you to something today. I don't believe God ever stops calling. We may stop listening, but I don't think he ever stops calling. What is he calling you today? Who who is he calling you to, to today? And then thirdly, that you would pray about the promise of your future. That you would rest in that promise. That you, you and I would not get so bent out of shape and frustrated and anxious and nervous. But that we would live as we're supposed to live with the promise that he is king. And that his kingdom has come on this earth and is being revealed on this earth. And that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Pray for your power. Pray for, for, pray for your past. 
Pray for your present. Pray for your future. And ask God to work in your hearts and minds and spirits today with what you need to know as we prepare to remember his work on the cross. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.